Blog Talk Radio. is in the uh, 
you know, Hall of Fame inductee for the Nevada State anyway, uh, a judge admits to helping Pacquiao in a fight a long time ago, but still, you know, what the hell? Um, so we're going to talk about that. Um, and of course, you know, we're going to preview and predict the trilogy between Juan Francisco Asada, Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Like I said, the trilogy on the zone to a lesser extent, obviously a trilogy <laughs> in Fury and Chisora on ESPN plus as well. Not a whole lot beyond that as far as the weekend fights, but do you really need anything more when you got, you know, an interesting fight like Estrada Gonzalez? I, for one, um, did actually watch the second fight over recently. So I'm going to kind of talk that through as far as the rescore. Once again, I held firm that it wasn't this 9-3, to three, some people were even saying 10-2, to two, complete walkover type victory. I thought it was closer than a lot of people talked about. Now, I'm not saying Estrada won. Um, And I openly admit that I am a little biased towards Estrada. I love both these fighters a lot. I've really liked Estrada, though, too. Um, Whereas I think people are more either openly biased or just outright biased and won't admit it (laughs) about Chocolatito, too. So some close rounds, you know, that stuff can skew you. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I thought Chocolate, Chocolatito deserved the victory, and, and I think that scorecard, that horrendous scorecard, obviously adds to um, calling it a robbery, you know. Um, but like I said, I thought it was competitive. I didn't think it was this walk-away victory, um, but I did think he won it clean. We'll talk about it and who's going to win the rematch because, you know, Gonzalez looks so good lately and so fresh. Uh, after that, you know, that second fight with Rungvisai, where it looked like, okay, this is the beginning of the end, and he's made such a great comeback. Um, so, uh, and then when you look at Estrada, in his recent fight, he looked like shit, but sometimes you can't. He's very inconsistent nowadays um, for getting up for fighters or for fights, certain opponents and stuff like that. And it looked like he was just kind of treating that as, hey, I'm tuning up here. And that was a competitive-ass fight. So is he falling off the cliff earlier than uh, Trovolatito? And both of them, to be honest with you, it's, you know, both of them could in this fight. You never know. Uh, but Estrada has now been through a fair amount of wars himself. So we're going to talk it all through uh, here. Uh, but before we get there, um, if this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope Dope and download the show there directly or listen to the browser. You can find the, the platform Rope Dope Radio under Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Stitcher, Spricker, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. While you're at it, why don't you head on over um, <clears throat> to Phil Boxing, uh, The Grueling Truth. Uh, dot com as well Eastside Boxing Sport News 24 and by the way if you're thinking about cutting the cord or you're happy you're not quite happy I got something for you it's called Direct TV Stream for a limited time only the prices start as low as forty nine ninety nine that'll last for two months if you decide to go with the choice or ultimate package guess what that's a savings of hundred and sixty dollars for three months you get Showtime Star Cinemax and Epics it's the best of live TV and on demand there's no annual contracts, no hidden fees, plus you get to enjoy regional sports networks. That's direct TV stream. Okay, 
I uh, <clears throat> oof, I got a little <clears throat> something in my throat there. Pause. Um, and I actually just got a text message saying, "How's uh, winter up there? Has it snowed?" Yeah, you know, funny that you say that because it literally just snowed yesterday during the I think morning it started, and it was supposed to be like two five inches, two to five inches. Turned out it was you know like eight inches. So we got a, a, a fairly good snowing, let's say that. And then the temperature dropped. Um, so now it's in the teens right now. So it's pretty chilly right now, especially considering it's not technically December. Um, hope uh, winter's good. Well, actually that's from Florida. So you guys don't even know what winter is. Uh, maybe some rain. Um, so yeah, look at this pro gaze of And going into this, I had my money three ways on pro gray. I'll just admit it. But the biggest win would have been by decision. That's where I would have, you know, made the most amount of money. Either way, I was going to make money on this fight if pro, you know, providing, you know, Regis Progress wins, of course. But um, in that 11th round, when he stunned him, I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, I won a little money on Progress, but I had him. I had the most money on Zapata. Or not the most money on on the decision, but. You know, that's where I could have stand to make the most money. But anyway, um, you know, I thought actually right off the bat, Zapata looked pretty good. You know, he won the first round for me. Um, I'd say his left hand was probably the best shot of the round. There was a, a, a left hook to the body, if I remember correctly, later in that round. Uh, Pro Gray, he actually had nice a couple nice counters um, with the left hand a late right hook that I noted down in a jab, you know. Um, but I thought Pro Gray at that point, um, and that was fairly early, but at that point, you know, he started to kind of cleanly win some of these rounds early. I gave him the second, third, and fourth cleanly. Um, his jab, especially early in rounds, and then, you know, left hooks, uh, or just straight left hands. There was some back and forth in these, you know, in these rounds, but just steady landing that jab. And, you know, it was an even fight through two rounds, I'll say that, because I remember them even popping up the stats saying they both landed 16 punches for for the first two rounds. Um, but then, like I said, the separation started taking place. The third round, um, I think midway, he landed a really nice, hard left hand. Um, and Zapata, you know, he, he was landing some decent timing shots, and he had some good movement, you know, showing some defense. Um, Progray in the fourth round, you know, he landed some really nice late left hands in that round. But to close the round, an even harder uh, left hand as well. I mean, this guy was really starting to, I thought, you know, stack up some points. He had that herky-jerky style where he's defense-offense. Um kind of scoring with the jab in a variety of ways. Uh, And then, you know, just landing clean shots, lead lefts, uh, a few right hooks. He was dominating it, basically. Um, Zapata, say, like in the fifth round, was having some success, you know, but just not enough until late. He flurried late in that uh, fifth round. They showed the stats in that one, 22 to 73 in the fifth round, or 22 of 73, I should say. So, you know. Progray was was fairly dominant. Um, 
his nose bleed, I think by the mid-rounds, his nose started to bleed a little bit. Um, you could see in the sixth round, I'd say maybe the second half of the sixth round, he slowed down a little bit. I think he was just kind of uh, taking the round off. So that's a round that you could maybe, you know, the jab, uh, have a little bit more success, a couple of nice combos late, some success early, landing better shots. So I, I don't know. That was a close round. Um, but then I'm looking at it, and, I mean, there wasn't too many more. You know, there wasn't too many more rounds, let's be honest. Uh, and that's not to say, like I said, Zepeda wasn't competitive at times, because he was, you know. Um, but that upper body movement, like I said, kind of darting in and out. Um, it just landing the lead overhand left at will. Um, taking some shots, but still coming through. Looked like, you know, he kind of took a good shot in the ninth round, uh, Zapata. And Progre, you know, just kept going. And there was actually a little punching after the bell, I remember. I think it was the ninth round. Um, and you could see, you know, it's not a big deal, but you could kind of see that, you know, like I said, he 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 was, get, he was getting landed on because he had a bloody nose. So it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, completely shocking. And I actually gave Zapata, there was an exchange, I think, let's see, I wrote it down here, 40 seconds in. Um, and I thought Zapata got the better of that shot. Now, Progre definitely, um, you know, had some body work and landed some flush head shots. And there was a moment there that he looked a little hurt, Zapata, in the ninth round. And he looked a little tired, but then he rallied back at the last minute, and there were some great exchanges to close that round. And honestly speaking, you know, Progray was so in control of this fight by this 10th round that had Zapata not a, you know, spazzed out, basically, in these, you know, great exchanges to close the round, that may have not woken up. And I'm not saying, you know, Progray's sleeping, but he had it in the bag by the 11th round. And, and maybe if that 10th round didn't go the way it did, he wouldn't have came out looking for blood, you know, looking to even the score right away. And, you know, the two corners, Zapata, you know, his corner, I don't know. It was kind of like, hey, man, you're doing good. You are ahead. And then at the end, near the, you know, closer to the end, then they started bringing a little bit more urgency. Whereas Regis Progress corner, they had urgency either way. And there was enough urgency. Like I said, a lot of it had, that, had to do with that 10th round where, like I said, Zapata got the best of the exchange early, but then it looked like he was hurt there. But, man, he rallied back in that last minute. But a huge left hand hurt him in the 11th round, and he flurried, and literally not long after, it was over. He just knew it. Once he stunned him, it was like, oh, you know. And that's where I'm like, on one hand, and this is more of my feelings, but on one hand, I'm watching it as a fan going, hell yeah. Wow, this fight's over. On the other hand, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, ooh, it was so close to getting a decision there that I would have won more money. But, you know, that's part of it. That's why I don't like to put up, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on bets because then I just wouldn't enjoy it. I'd be so stressed about the money, and I, I just would hate to have it go out like that where you're just like, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know, um, where you're, you're kind of mad. Um, 
And so there are some other fights that I'll talk about on, like, uh, there's going to be that co-feature I'll talk about, but I'm going to get to kind of some of the main fights uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, First, um, White and Franklin. Well, first of all, Pro Gray, before I do that, Pro Gray, um, you know, Charles Conwell, uh, Jalalov, um, Fernando Vargas, both Vargas's actually, um, Ruben Torres actually lost by decision. I did want to talk about that a little bit, or at least mention that. Um, the undercard fight, like I said, the co-feature I'll talk about it in a second. It was a good, very competitive fight. I thought it was a fun fight to watch, and it was a great example of where women's boxing um, has gone. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the levels, it continues to, to, to rise. It's, it's pretty interesting, man, and it is. It's cool. It's really cool. But anyway, real quick, like, Today, like I said, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter, and all of a sudden I see, you know, like Progray saying that he didn't get paid, basically. And I'm thinking, like, wow, you know. Here, actually, let me get the – I might as well just get the text right so I don't want to mess around here. Boy, I really dropped the ball on this, didn't I? <laughs> okay, so um, this is Zapata's – where is it? Here we go. Uh, it's a pay anyway, but Regis Progray, I deposited, this is what he tweeted uh, this morning, 8, 8.49. I deposited my fight check Monday while I was in L.A. Today, the bank emailed me saying the check bounced because of insufficient funds. Some better, somebody better find out what the F is going on before I click the fuck out. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Someone below it said, didn't Rick Glazier vouch for these guys? Did you, Glaze? <laughs> um, but he said, no, I, I vouch for BLK. I think that was what it was. Here's Raging Babe. I understand that everybody needs to make a buck, but it's really not okay for media to work for promoters. Seems as though Marb Nation and company paid several for articles and press and good reviews. Um, no bueno. And someone below her said, I don't care as long as they disclose it in the article. Um, in an obvious way, I'm fine with an honest page show. There's something to be said about that. Um, criminals in boxing, promoters up to shadiness. Boxing is getting stiff. Boxers getting stiff. The golden age is back. <laughs> um, she, Raging Babe goes on to say, you had a few media folks being sponsored and tweeting and writing about how great and quality the event promoter was. Christ, we still haven't learned. Hope uh, it's an honest mistake, and I hope Regis gets his money. Uh, Ortega says everyone's worst fears about Marb Nation winning the Zapata uh, Progray. First bid seemed to be coming true. The fight happened, but they bounced the check to Progray. The WBC should be on the hook for the purses if Marb Nation can't come up with the money. And this is, you know, from the boxing scene, Marb Nation, a small promotional company based in Southern California. Uh, they stunningly won that purse bid August 30th. Um, it's a it's a bid for 2.4 mil was nearly twice as much as the second highest offer 1.26 from TGB Promotion ProBella Progre uh, Pro Promoter bid a million Zamper did a million as well. Um, there were some other people involved as well. Um, the California State Athletic Commission required Marv Nation's CEO Marv Rodriguez to show proof of funds before it moved forward with the five fight pay per view at the Dignity or 
Dignity Health and Sports uh, Park. In accordance with WBC rules, uh, Marv Nation previously deposited a win uh, bonus of 240000 in escrow accounts soon after the pit, the first bid was, uh, you know, won. So, interesting. Uh, and I'm saying that, you know, in a lighthearted way because that's some bullshit. That is some bullshit. I really hope they figure that out. Um, so let's hope they get their money anyway. And then Pro Gray, you know, Regis, is, there's a, there's plenty of people. I hear this Teofimo Lopez and Regis, and I, I, hey, I like that fight a lot. But I'm pretty damn sure that he's going to fight Jose Ramirez next since that was the scenario for the belt. Um, you know, Ramirez stepped aside in this scenario. Was he getting married, or was there something going on in his life that he could? I think he was getting married, wasn't he? I can't remember now. But um, we hear a lot of talk about, oh, this, oh, that. It's going to be Jose Ramirez. And that's a good-ass fight. That's a good-ass fight. That's a fight that, you know, plenty of people want to see. And uh, that should be nuts on ESPN. That'd be great. I would really like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be on ESPN, but I just assumed it would. You know, maybe if you go to. Um, oh yeah, and then uh, White and Franklin, Jermaine uh, Franklin and Dillian White. To be honest with you, I mean, Franklin's never been. He could stand to lose a few pounds, if we're being honest, as far as being in shape. Uh, he gassed. So did White, though. He didn't look <laughs> all that good body-wise either. I mean, if we're being honest. Um, like I said, the one thing I can take from this fight is it was competitive, okay? And so I can only rip on competitive fights if they're a little slower or, or if they, you know, if some of the fighters are gassing out through it. We used to see this in the heavyweight division a lot. So, I, you know, I still like competitive fights, I'll say that. Uh, I'm not, not, you know, I think there probably should be a rematch, but I'm not calling for one like it has to be one. But I think based off the scorecards, it probably should be. I think that's fair. Um, I gave Franklin the first round. Um, he landed some early shots to the body, um, and then he countered with the left hook. Um, White won the second round for me, right hands to the body with his jab, um, and a left hook to the body as well. He was kind of going there with both hands, obviously. The third round, that was close. I gave it to White, but it was really close. Um, the combination for Franklin could have won that round. I just preferred the body work. Um, but it was close. Like I said, I'll totally admit it. The fourth round and fifth round, I gave to White. I thought he was kind of steadying the ship a little bit. Um, he was starting to throw those nice uppercuts, like two of them, I think, midway, uh, you know, to go along with a few left hooks as well. Um, and that's not to say Franklin didn't have some success. Um, you know, he he did. Straight right hands, hooks to the body. There was plenty of back and forth early in the fifth round. I just thought, um, like a late combination, just busier work, uh, better work. Uh, to me, anyway, one white those rounds. But then I thought Franklin won the sixth and seventh. You know, he was jabbing really well, landing a few really nice hooks. Uh, like in the sixth round, he closed stronger and landed a big shot, better shot late. Um, you know, hooks to the body with both hands, just really putting in that body work. So, um, 
it was pretty close. And, and you know, did White win the eighth round? Did he not? I, you know, it was close, man. I mean, early on and, and early in mid, I'd say Franklin won the eighth round probably. Um, but the jabbing probably was more effective from White, and he, and he closed better in that eighth round. It was funny, though. Buddy McGirt's like, all right, enough uh, with the street sweeper. And he was talking about, like, that cross in the right hand he was trying to land. He, sometimes he was landing these crosses or even hooks, or tr- I should say trying to land, you know, that right hand um, and the hooks, crosses, like I said. He was missing some of those, you know, punches, like, really bad. And it was just funny. <laughs> I wrote that down in my notes. Buddy's like, all right, enough with the street sweeper. Just get to the jab and, and push him back. And he was right. That if he, you know, every time White was steady with that jab, he would eventually land something. And no, it wasn't the uh, street sweeper. It wasn't uppercut. But uh, in some hooks, like I said, once in a while, a right hand. But the very next round, competitive round, but I thought I did think, you know, the better of the two shots, even some good counters by Franklin, I thought he won the ninth, you know. Um I gave Franklin the tenth as well. He was busier with that jab going to the body. Uh, well, actually, hold on. He wasn't busier. I- I'd say the busier of the two was probably White because he was jab go to the body. Both of them were kind of doing the same thing. But off the ropes, I thought the left hook and counter right hands um, were just better work from Franklin in that tenth round. But both guys by that time were gassing out slowly but surely, you know. It was kind of deteriorating as far as action, but um, then I gave White the last two rounds. I thought he was a little more effective. Uh, some good body work as well. Um, good back and forth, though, throughout the round, you know. Uh, and, and, and Franklin would usually flurry back to the head and body. A big left hook and a late flurry won that round, I thought, for White. Otherwise, both were landing flush shots Uh or they were landing shots, I should say, but I even put in my notes, not flush big shots, but they were both landing. Um, and, you know, 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, five, five, either guy, uh, two scorecards had it 116, 112, and one had it 115, 115. Um, I just, you know, I got to admit, like I really wasn't a, a, you know, a big fan of that outcome i'll just say that um i didn't think he won eight to four per se uh but yeah six six i would have been fine with the draw to be honest with you i'd have been just fine with the draw I, that's all um punch stats though um they were they basically threw the same amount of punches 606 for franklin 608 for white uh, Franklin landed more, though, 165 to 144 at a higher clip percentage-wise, 27 to basically 24. Um, and Franklin definitely won the jab. Um, there was a, you know, there was a, a tad bit more, 59 to 46 for body work. Um, and, it, you know, that's just that's just one part of the copy box stuff, right? That there's, that's just one part of uh, the fight. It's not like I'm trying to use those numbers as, well, that's why Franklin won, because, you know, he landed uh, some more punches. Um, I thought the better punches, as far as the more powerful punches, probably were white, you know? Um, but I don't see eight to four for either guy. I think that's pretty ridiculous. I, I would have to admit that. I definitely do not. 
think that that was – I don't know. I, I think they should run it back, you know. I really do. I, I think they should run it back. Um, but like I said, I'm not – you know, I'm not trying to act like it was a great fight. But I'm also not going to – like I said, I, I'm just not a big fan of dumping on competitive fights. Sorry, you know. Uh, Fabio Wardley and Sandy Ryan won, um, you know, pretty cleanly. Uh, it didn't take long for Fabio to take out Gorman. I thought maybe that would go a little later, but I, what was it, the third round, I think? Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to talk about too much more on that card, but I did think, you know, I could see, you know, either one of them winning barely, obviously the A side in the, you know, the guy who has, you know, like the backing. Um, this is Eddie Hearn, and I'm talking about Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn on Dillian White, uh, majority decision over Franklin. It's not a robbery at all. It was a very close fight. I feel it was a 115-113 to White. I could see a draw. I could see. Can I see 115 to Franklin? Not really, but maybe. Anyone who says uh, that's a robbery is thick, is thick as shit. In all honesty, I don't, I don't know what that. Uh, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to that. Um, I did mention someone said, yeah, Curtis Harper got knocked out in the first round, fourth round by Bakador. What was it? Bakadir, Bakador, Jalalov. Yeah, he he took care of business. I mean, there wasn't much in that fight. Not a whole lot to, uh, you know. I mean, in the third and fourth round, you know. He got dropped and, you know, ended up getting stopped pretty easy. It was a technical knockout, I think. Also, Adam Azim um, looked pretty good in, you know, in two rounds. He's like, what is he, 8-0 or 7-0 now with uh, six knockouts or seven knockouts? One of the two. Um, 140-pound prospect, definitely. Uh, in fact, Liam Smith here, I'm uh, seeing this, uh, some prospect, Adam Azim, meaning, you know, he's damn good. Yeah, let's see. I, I, you know, I think, uh, I think he's got potential. That's for sure. I've just, you know, long ago I learned my lesson not to get too hyped, high or low, uh, you know, with prospects until they step up. And not to say, oh, they need to put him in with some really tough fight right now. He's only got seven or eight fights, so, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, let's see. Uh, Oh, La, what is it, La, Lowell? Lowell won, too. Because um, I remember that Isaac Chamberlain, uh, why Mike Mikel Lowell was doing his uh, post-fight interview. I remember him talking about it. Um, that's about it for that fight. You know, Dillian White in, in you know, Anthony Joshua is next, um, I assume. Maybe not, but I assume that's it. You know, I think that's going to be the fight. Um, so we should probably just get ready for it. We did hear Deontay Wilder's uh, manager, Shelly Finkel. He said he's declared that Wilder now wants Anthony Joshua fight next. We have the WBC final eliminator with Andy, but we want the Joshua fight. Deontay wants the fight next. Let's make a deal and do the fight. So... I don't know, you know, that'd be great too. On one hand, you got a guy that is coming off two losses in a row. 
and he probably wants to get on a good foot. We don't even know who he's going to be necessarily training with. There's going to be time for a new trainer to figure that out. Maybe they want to camp and then take on a challenge like Wilder and beat White. Not to say White doesn't have a chance at all in the fight, but you assume he'd beat him. Um, And I respect that. I do respect that. Now, if they were really willing, though, 100%, to fight Fury, if they would have been able to work it out, then on that, you know, with that knowledge, excuse me, knowledge, where Joshua and Hearn both said they wanted that fight, I mean, then you might as well go, you know, right to Joshua. But I can't sit there and, like, just like Wilder coming off now, he was coming off two knockouts, too, more brutal fights. So, then, I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't some tough moments for Anthony to Joshua in those two fights, but it was a little bit different, right? So, my point for bringing that up is I was perfectly okay with Wilder coming off back-to-back knockouts, um, especially the last one, which was so brutal. You know, to take a, a, a just an okay uh, fight. And so either way, I'd be happy. Well, I wouldn't, wouldn't say I'd be happy, but either way, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, break down Anthony Joshua and be like, oh, he's afraid of, you know, fighting Wilder and stuff like that. Because it's like, you know, coming out back-to-back losses. Let him get a camp in with a new trainer or whatever and get a win and then fight him. Maybe they'd fight in the summer. I don't know. I doubt it, but who knows? Um, and obviously, you know, some of this has to do with sick and, and Tyson Fury stuff, and he actually fights this weekend, as we know. Um, now, as far as the um, do 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 do, what was the? Uh, there was another. Why can't I think of? Why can't I think of what it was? Oh yeah, yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah, of course. Um, Zach Parker, John Ryder. So. The first two rounds were close rounds, um, a slow start from both of them. Both of them were pretty much, I mean, the, the the good thing that they were doing is they were landing to the body pretty well, I'd say. You had Parker uh, with the right-hand leads in, in his jab, and, and then you did have, you know, um, Ryder doing probably a little bit better work punching to the body, but he had a nice jab too. Uh, the next few rounds, third and fourth, you know, Parker still had his jab going, straight left hand starting to, um, you know, land pretty well anyway. Or, I'm sorry, that was Ryder. His straight left hand started to land a little bit more on Parker. Um, and there was, a, there was a really, like, late in the fourth round, he landed a pretty damn hard left on Parker. And Parker was now, like, seemed like he was moving a little bit more. Um and then the fifth round came around, and, and, and he just he started walking over to Ryder and telling him he was injured. So it was done, just like that. So, and I'm not trying to say, oh, he's a, he's a, I mean, he did quit, but he's not, I'm not, you know, I don't like to just, I don't know what pain he was going through, I guess is my point. So, you know, he, he said he just couldn't handle the pain, couldn't fight with one man and uh so unfortunately um he wasn't able to uh continue i would have liked to see seen where the fight was going um i had Ryder in an upset i definitely you know made a little cha-ching off it but i i, I was confident Ryder could do it but it, it was a 
to me, it was closer to a 50-50 than the odds, you know, said. Not that the odds had it, you know, three or four to one or anything as an underdog for, for Ryder. But as I mentioned, like I said, there's not a whole lot to break down with this fight. I kind of just did. But this is from Boxing Scene. Hearn will attempt to make Canelo and Ryder in May at Empress Stadium. Like I said, this is on Boxing Scene. Um, basically... You know, he said he'd love to match him in May of next year at the Arsenal's Emirates Stadium. Canelo's looking for a stay-busy fight with Poss, you know, in May before pursuing that, you know, Dimitri Bivol fight. I'm so pleased for John Ryder since he beat Daniel Jacobs. We've been looking for a big fight for him. We didn't, we didn't expect to be Zach. We didn't expect it to be Zach Parker. He came through and uh, was just too much for Parker, and who I think had an injured hand. But he was getting, he was getting to him, and I think he would have stopped him anyway. I see. I don't know about that. Maybe he, you know he he may have stopped, been able to stop him. But I can't just add that up for sure, because that's just not how I do it through five or through four, four rounds, really. Um, and then Hearn added, um, I already texted Canelo's trainer and manager Eddie Reynoso to say John Ryder is mandatory. Let's go in May at the Empress. It would be a dream uh, for Ryder. He deserves it. He's a very good fighter, and he's the mandatory for Canelo. This could be our chance to bring Canelo to the U.K. It would be unbelievable, all that good stuff. Now, you know, technically speaking, he's actually not the mandatory yet. It hasn't been called. They didn't call it yet, but that fight was to create a mandatory for Canelo. So um, he is the mandatory once it's officially called, but we know how that goes. You got to officially call it, but I, I would, this would make sense that they do that. And then they kind of get that one of the mandos out of the way, because, you know, when Benavides, you know, David Benavides and Caleb Plant fight, that's going to be a, a fight that has a mandatory as well. Doesn't mean, you know, it's not official till they call it as we know, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see, because Canelo could fight Ryder. I assume he beats him. And then if he goes up, you know, to 175 again, I'm sure the WBC would be like, hey, man, like, it's cool. Like, do your thing and then come back. Or you got to make a decision after the, the Bibble fight or whatever. But you never know. Bibble could come down to, one, you know, 168. In fact, Bibble recently, there's your quotes from him um, on the rematch. Why not 168? Um, if it's 168, it's no excuse anymore. He had some excuses. Yeah, he said it's you know it's not his weight class. Then he said he didn't get a good camp. Then he said it was a problem with his arm. 168, no excuses. That's what Bibble said. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Um, but we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. But I would anticipate. I don't know if he's going to fight in the UK. But I wouldn't be surprised because you did, you have heard, you know, not just Eddie, his promoter, who is, of course, going to want to fight in the U.K., right? That's a, uh, against a U.K. fighter that people know and who's been in some fights like Callum Smith and, and in that area that they, they do know him. And they could sell pay-per-views with that over there. I don't think it would do good here, but we'll see. Maybe they would do a pay-per-view like I mentioned during the day here? I don't know. Maybe they won. You know? Maybe they won. 
Or maybe they just have it on the zone and then do those pay-per-views where if you don't have the zone, you can get it on pay-per-view. I would hope they do that. That would be ideal, obviously. Anyway, um, I did want to mention that Yokasta, uh, was it Yokasta? What's her name? Um, Yokasta. Yokasta and uh, uh, it was for the one, was the IBF and WBO, that fight for the one, 108, I think it's 108 pound, um, Bermudas and Vale, Vale, I think it is Vale, someone was saying, Yoka, is it Yoka, Yokasta, Yokasta, I think it is, anyway, um, this was a really competitive fight, you know, I, I thought it might be the fight of the weekend, and um, as far as competitiveness um, and action, because obviously the, the Dillian White and Jermaine Franklin was more competitive than this as far as on the scorecards and whatnot. Um, although there was a, a draw scorecard, and the scorecards probably could have been tighter, I'll say that. But this was this was an inter, in, you know entertaining, interesting fight. Um, like from rounds, let's say one through three. So first, the first two, um, Bermudas was doing a good job. Uh, with her left hook especially, um, landed some really nice right hands in the early part of the fight. Um, whereas Yokasta, she landed some nice right hands as well. Um, both of them landed pretty good in that early in that first round. Third round, you started to see Yokasta finally kind of manage to close the gap. I think that was a a big. Thing for her, you know, um, Bermudez was taller, um, so she had to close that gap. Uh, Bermudez, though, a jab in a really nice late right hand in the fourth kind of separated that one. A few more nice right hands uh, by Bermudez in the, in the fifth round, I'd say. That one kind of stood out to me. And then as far as her success, I mean, she had success the whole fight, but I'd say the last minute of the sixth round, uh, Bermuda's big right hand during exchange that later stumbled. Um, I think later in that same six round, I got it in my notes here, uh, with another big right hand. So the first six rounds, Bermuda's had a lot of success. The seventh round was more back and forth, but you could kind of see Yocasta starting to take over. She landed like in that seventh round, a really nice flush right hand in the last part of that round. The pressure started coming. She started pressing the pace. Uh, did Yocasta landing more of those big right hands. And for a little bit there, Bumuda, as I remember writing this little note in the eighth round, she looked a little, she was starting to gas a little bit. She looked a little tired. Um, but to her credit, in both of these uh, boxers' credit, early in the ninth round, you know, they were trading punches. They were getting it in. Uh, maybe the last, say, 30 or 40 seconds of that ninth round, big right hand by Yocasta um, in a competitive uh, tenth round. Um, and by the end, once again, they were really, you know, throwing some haymakers. They were trying to, you know, they were trying to take each other's, you know, head off there. I would say um, there was some issues for Yocasta in the, in the early mid-rounds, but I thought the way the second half she closed out and got the victory for me. One judge did have it 95-95. Ninety-five, 
One had it 99-91, which that was ridiculous. I mean, that was 97-93, I think, was the other one. That's a lot more, you know, on on par. But the 90, the 99 to 91, I mean, that's not, I don't know what the hell that was. But um, Yocasta, is it Valet? She's having a good year, man. She, she's and, – and I wanted to kind of talk about this fight a little bit more as far as, like, like I said earlier – we're starting to see the growth of women's, you know, boxing stepping up, not just to the plate, but going up another level. We know that the depth in women's boxing overall, but especially in some weight classes, but overall it's just not there yet. Um, it's still an up, uphill climb there. And, hey, I say it all, all, all the time when I bring this up, the depth of you know, men's boxing is not what it was in the 80s and 90s. You know what I mean? Um, and then the further you go back. So it's not, I'm not ripping It's just a fact, you know. But we're seeing, you know, the last several years we've seen some fights and fighters, female fighters, really upping the bar. And there's times, like I was watching this fight with somebody and, and they were saying, they were bringing up some old women's fights and even, you know, Christy Martin. You know, and, and being on Tyson's undercard and stuff like that, like just saying, you know what, this was a really good fight, and I'm not used to. I don't know, like, and this person is more of a boxing casual fan, but they they even were like, dude, these 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 females can fight, and and of course they can, right? I'm not I'm not trying to like, you know, go over the top and say, oh man, this is the best fight, or just this year has been great fights, and it, it really has, obviously, for for women boxing point out four right off the bat in a fairly high profile uh some of them really high profile obviously three out of the four um this one is you know one wasn't as high profile but who cares i mean it was a, it was a very competitive fight like i said the skills the accuracy this is the level of women's boxing where i think i'm not going to say cross over to the mainstream because it's so hard for male or female or just boxing in general to do excuse me, to do that, but as far as, like, of course, hardcore boxing fans, a lot of those folks like like this boxing, the women's boxing, and there are some folks that just, they don't like it. They don't like it. They're not going to watch it. They're not going to support it, and that's their own opinion. It is, it is what it is, but fights like these and fights that we've seen this year especially, but even, like I said, in recent years, you know, the Clarissa Shields, uh, the Katie Taylors, the Amanda Serrano. I mean, the list goes on. And it's really, like I said, these boxers, not about female fighters per se, right? But these boxers are showing a high level of skill and it's entertaining fights. And that's just factual, dude, you know? Um, so that's, I think that's about it as far as that recap goes. Don't think I'll go too much further um, into it. We did have uh, Mark Castro actually was on that card. I forgot um, to talk about Diego uh, Pachico or whatever that dude's name is. He he's on the the card. As, he was on the card as well. Oh, Julio Cesar Martinez was on the card as well. Um, you know, not not much in these fights per se, but. Um, it for weekend recap. I will get to, obviously 
you know, Fury and Chisora, this is the, the fight's happening. You know, it'll be interesting to see um, how many people will be in the stands, being that it's outdoors. You know, we talked about, you know, that report, what was it, a while back where they said they already sold 50,000 tickets. I haven't seen a new report, but I'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of people out there. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Fury's going to win. There's not much in it. I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, break it down. Right. Now, I did watch the Estrada Gonzalez uh, rematch, right, part two, uh, like two nights ago. And I, re- I kind of rescored it. And, you know, the first four rounds, I think, you know, the first and the fourth were really competitive. Um, I gave the fourth to Chocolatito, and I gave Estrada the first round. Really close. I thought Estrada was just a little bit busier, um, but both landed, you know, pretty much go, going back to the Compiox, too, um, both landed the same amount of punches. So it, it was it was close. I don't think there was a lot of separation there. Whereas the fourth round, it was a two-way round. Um, Chocolatito, for me, just – I mean, both guys threw over 100 punches in this round. But to me, he was just more effective with this pressure. Um, but that's not to say, and, you know, some, like late in the fight, or late in the, well, late in the fight too, but late in the fourth round, you know, there was some really good shots, hooks and uppercuts, flush combinations by Estrada. But, you know, there's a late right hand that kind of uh, cemented it for me, for Chocolatito. But I, I gave him the second and third cleanly. He was just... The way Gonzalez, the fluid punch, the the how he just he's got that kind of bent over style where he's slowly but surely closing the distance, and it's kind of like rapid fire combination, but they're short, efficient punches. And whether it's the jab at different speeds, some of these combinations at different speeds, where two of the punches will be at a different speed, and the third one will really come hard. I mean. He's just such a fluid fighter, and to see him improve over the years, when you see him, I remember seeing him uh, when he was just building up his record, basically, at the ballroom uh, that in, at the MGM. There's a really cool ballroom where it's, it's – they don't do a ton of fights there anymore, but um, I think it was Marquez's brother that was fighting uh, – God, what is his name? Nakashi, or why can't I remember his name? The dude went on the fight, uh, Donaire. Anyway, he was there, and, you know, it took Chocolatito kind of a while to build up his record a little bit. I do remember early on people saying, hey, this dude is a good fighter, but, you know, we got to see. We got to wait and see because he hasn't fought anybody, you know? And it's funny when you look at both their resumes, they fought a ton of guys, obviously. But when they both fought each other, don't get me wrong, they fought, they had fought good guys before that but it's like after that point there was waves of like a few fights where it's like the competition's not that good but then they jump back in the fire and then they had you know the flyweight wars there for a while where you could name like seven eight guys where they all it was like a round robin the flyweight wars and they had kind of like at bantamweight they kind of had that again at 115 they they kind of just ongoingly had it in Estrada and Gonzalez has been uh, part of it. And Estrada just kept going up and wait to follow Gonzalez as well. But anyway, back to uh, the rescore. 
Then I thought it was kind of back and forth. The fifth round, I would say the quick, crisp shots were, you know, were Gonzalez. And that's another thing. The scorecard, what was that one scorecard? Let me see. I have it down here. One of the scorecards is just ridiculous. I just can't remember. Oh, yeah, 117-111. So I think the combination of having a ridiculous scorecard, right, which is a 9-3 to fight, which, by the way, I didn't see for either side. And then the lead Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez got through five rounds. I mean, if he's up four to one, you know, I understand why up four to one still won some rounds on the back end of this fight and then the bad scorecard. That's why I think people call this a full-on robbery. I didn't see it as a total robbery because Estrada got back into the fight. Um he had a great start going to the body in combinations. But, you know, the last part, I'd say, uh, uh, had, you know, two-way. But I gave him a sixth. I gave him a seventh. Um, I thought when they were exchanging, he was getting the better of it. The eighth round was very close. You know, you had uh, Estrada kind of with the cleaner shots going to the body. But Chocolatito was busier. You know, I gave that round to Estrada. But that was a really close round. Um, so look at six, seven, eight. If you give him two out of those one, well, all of a sudden he's won three. Um, and then I thought Chocolatito kind of got back on track um, in the ninth round. You know, he kind of reset. He was using these combos with the angles, or he just fully reset and then go right back to landing those short combinations. Um, and, you know, I'd say the last three out of four – I'm comfortable with giving Chocolatito three out of the last four. So when you win, you know, three out of the first four and three out of the last four, that gets you pretty close to winning the scorecard, right? I mean, it's definitely not nine to three, which, like I said, was a ridiculous uh, scorecard, you know, to begin with. But, I mean, the punch that they were both putting up were crazy, obviously, in this fight. But, I mean, a dominant Chocolatito round for the 10th round landed what 36 to 13 and I think it was uh, that that 36 out of 97 was coming off of 27 of 114 in the ninth round and 48 out of 155 he he landed 48 out of 155 in the seventh round I mean that that's ridiculous and don't get me wrong you know if you go back and look at the seventh round they both landed, I mean, 48 to 47. Over, I think it's 280 they both threw. I mean, that was that was ridiculous, dude. If you look at the 11th and 12th round alone, and I in, in the 11th round was really close. I shaded it to Estrada, but it was very close. And then um, some really, the last minute of the, the 12th round was some great exchanges, great back and forth, um, action pack last, you know, part. But um, I gave it to Chocolatito. And I gave him this fight, you know, whether it's 7 5, 8 4, 7 4, 1, 6 5, 1, however you want to do that. I don't think it was a draw per se, right? Uh, one of them had it for 115, 113 for uh, Gonzalez. The other had 115, 113 for Estrada. Okay, you know, I can live with those. If you gave him the 11th, let's see, if you gave him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, yeah, I mean, seven five eight to four, you know, seven four one. I'm good. Six five one's probably pushing it in my mind. 
And like I said, I'm a little biased to Estrada. I'll fully admit that. I really have followed both these guys' career a lot. So I'm kind of biased towards both of them. But I think I'm fully admitting some biasness towards Estrada in this. But let's be honest, Gonzalez has some biasness behind him because so many people love him that they, I think they give him an extra round or two. You know what I mean? So this, this wasn't a 10-2, to 9-3 to three fight. I didn't see only three rounds, uh, you know, for Estrada. I, I just didn't. I, I, I don't think it was that. I mean, like I said, the first round, you can give him the sixth, the seventh, maybe the eighth. You know, the 11th round was another one. But anyway, look at this 11th and 12th round. Estrada and Jogalatita, right? They both. So Estrada in two rounds threw 288 punches. and uh, Or Jogalatito did. And Estrada threw 279. 35% to 27. 91 to 77. In two rounds, they landed 91 and 77. The 11th and 12th round. I mean, that was... Uh, that 35% clip for Chocolatito, too. It was, and obviously, you know, and that's where some of this, but overall, the, the body work, a lot of people said, well, three, three, what is it, 314 compared to 391, that is a sizable landing gap, no matter how you look at it for Chocolatito. Uh, he landed 30%. He threw 1,317 punches, over 1,300 punches, and over 1,200 punches for Estrada. They're both over the 300. So it was ridiculous. I mean, to throw that many punches and be 30 and 26%, that's pretty damn good. Now, the jabs were, were slightly favored to uh, Chocolatito, 39-17. But I think this is another thing that when we talk about certain fighters, body uh, work and body shots in general, don't get the same love as a headshot or just out, you know, out uh, working a guy, right? Being busier, landing a little bit more punches. And here's my point. Estrada won the body shots 89 to 31. And like I said, I just admitted that 391 to 314 punch that. That's a large punch that, right? That's a big gap. But, you know, damn near 60, what, 58 body shots, that's a big gap too. And, and I'm not trying to say Estrada won because of that's definitely not what I'm saying, but I'm just trying to put it in perspective of like, well, you know, why does some jabs count more than others in certain fights, right? And then somebody shots, oh, Comic Box never, you know, basically never takes like accurate stats or the judges scorecards don't accurately take, you know, or put into the formula of winning in a body shot, you know, so... Like I said, this isn't to say Estrada won the fight, okay? I've already kind of admitted I have a bias towards him. He is one of my favorite fighters, along with Chocolatito in this last generation. Um, but I, I think he's gotten a tad less love on the way up. That's all I'm saying. Like, it was a competitive fight in the first fight. I thought it was more competitive than people gave it credit for. Chocolatito won. I thought he won fair and square. Second one, I thought the same thing. I just think when you say it was a robbery, where it was just, like I said, 9-3, 10-2, I'm willing to go 8-4. to four. Okay, that's cool. But anything above 8-4, to four, if we could get a ton of these high-level fights 
to end in eight to four scorecards, that would be pretty damn good is my point. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we don't get that. We do get the 10 teams and nine threes. And it, and it has to do with someone's skill level a lot of times too. But, you know, the location of the fight had something to do with it. Estrada, when I say he didn't get love, I'm talking about from the boxing hardcore and the media. I don't think Estrada gets enough love, but especially how he fought in both these fights, I don't think it was just easy win, you know. And to call it a robbery, I just didn't see it. Now, scorecard robbery, sure. Nine to three, either guy, I think that's nonsense. I don't, I just don't. And I know you can say, well, it's eight to four, nine to three. That's only one round. I hear you, but I'm closer to seven five than I am nine to three. You know, but I, but I'll meet you halfway at eight to four on that one. Um, now, as far as the rematch goes, I mean, and this one's in Arizona, right? I think it's in Arizona. Um, I don't know, Estrada. I gotta admit. You know, the first part of that fight, he didn't look all that good. And for what Estrada's... Now, he won the fight, right? So when I say what he's going to have to do to win this fight, it's going to be tough. And I do mean that, but he did just win the last fight. So, you know, and he wasn't the aggressor, right? So he clearly got a biased judge in there, clearly. I mean, especially 9-3 to three for Zapata is stupid. That's a shitty scorecard. And and that's why I think, like I said, that's why I think people call this a robbery quicker than some others. But, you know, sometimes you can make personal bets with people and you feel confident about it, but then you can also put a little money on the underdog when it comes to this, or or just in general, and fights in general, obviously. And that might be the path I go. Um, because I actually do have somebody that's so stuck on Estrada, I do have a personal bet with that where they're like, wait, like I said, I have a little personal bias because I don't think he's gotten the love he should have. And I understand how people think that's a little contradicting when he just got the uh, you know the scorecards in the last fight. But, you know, as a, I can get him for, what, up to a plus 195 and a lot of plus 175s for Estrada, um, or even putting money on Gonzalez just for a, a decision, you know, like saying a, a, a clean-cut decision is better than just picking the favorite. But neither guy are, are all that. I mean, minus 200, minus 225, that's like the highest one is minus 225. So it's still a very, as far as boxing standards go, it's like a pretty competitive fight. Um, there's also uh, Rosales and Bell, Bell, what is it, Velasquez? Velasquez, yeah. Jose Lito Velasquez. Um, he's he's a favorite, but, you know, Rosales could put up a good fight, and he's like a plus 230. So, um, you know, like I said, there's not a, not a ton of fights. Um, oh, did I? You know what? I was looking at the wrong card when I said Mark Castro and Diego and all that. He's act. They're fighting on that Fury card. Yeah, I, Daniel Dubois fighting on that card too. I actually was looking like, wait, don't, in the back of my head, I'm like, Castro fought. I didn't actually see his fight, but obviously, I would have heard if he lost. But yeah, that that's funny. I'm glad someone pointed that out. That's a good point. That was not on that card. I got that mixed up. Um, but I am gonna pick Gonzalez to win. 
Like, my prediction is Gonzalez to win. I just think he, once he's got you timed and measured up, like I said, using those angles, sometimes he fully resets after he lands combinations. But he's just constantly closing the gap on his opponent. And he's so much better of a defender than people give credit for. Just what he's the type of fighter he's grown into. It's just, when you look at some of the, not his first fights, but, you know, as he was going up uh, in the ranks, and even in the first fight with, actually, the first fight with, uh, you know, Estrada, the improvements he's made over the years, and like I said, the comeback this guy made after, you know, most of us thought he won that first fight. It was a hard, brutal fight, but he won it against, you know, rung beside. But then to, to get starch like that and to work his way back, get an upset over a young fighter, and then now to do what he's doing, and you know that not taking anything away from you know I think he should have a a dub, you know in that second Estrada fight. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I'm going to go with him. I think that even if it's a closer fight where we can legit say seven five either guy six 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 five one, I still think he's going to get the nod. You know, I think that the judges, I, I think, I don't know. I'm not, I got to actually look at the judges for sure <laughs> now that I think about it. But, like, sometimes in these rematches when someone, you know, clearly got the, the, the bad scorecard against them, sometimes you see, and I'm not saying he won't deserve it, but there's times where he may not perform as well as he did in fight one and fight two, but still win this fight, if that makes sense to you. Um, yeah, I don't know who the, uh, let's actually see if I can get some information on it. I don't, I actually don't know. Yeah. Um, Julio Cesar, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez is fighting Samuel Cormana. Yeah. I actually had this box rack open, open, looking at, <laughs> looking at the wrong card. I'm glad someone, uh, really glad someone. So I like the chances of Gonzalez to, uh, you know, close that out. Uh, I think, I think, I think that's what will happen. So Gonzalez will win this fight. It's not a big shocker, right? By the way, the 2022 U S boxing national champions, uh, begin in Lubbock, Texas. This actually just came through on boxing scene. Um, so, you know, keep, keep tabs with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's also win by decision. But I, so I have a, a personal bet that favors Gonzalez with a Estrada just fanboy, right? And that this person knows I'm messing with him, you know, because we we mess with each other about that. But I think he's a little over the top for Estrada, and that's me who really likes both these fighters, but really like Estrada. Um, so yeah, um, I got. But I, but I think I'm going to put a little money on Estrada on the underdog. Uh, and that's the thing. When you when you have plus, you know, 175 or 200 or whatever, right, plus 193, was that um, – I think that was the undercard uh, – or undercard, the underdog odds that I got, plus 193. I think that's what it was uh, for a rider, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway um, – yeah, so in theory, I got theory. Uh, will he knock him out? Sure, I think he'll knock him out. How about that? That, that was quick. <laughs> um, recently, a Nevada, a Nevada State Hall of Fame inductee for 
being a judge, admitted to helping Pacquiao in a fight long ago. He, he literally, literally said it. He admitted it in an interview. Carlos Padilla admits he gave Manny Pacquiao an 18-second count against uh, Hussein. Was it Hussein or Hussein? Something like that. Nadal uh, was his first name. This was back in 2000. I remember this fight. I remember seeing it. I, I don't remember. I don't. I didn't see it live, but I remember seeing it back then, and then seeing it a little later on. This is what he was saying. That fight. I'm about to go and leave the following day, and they told me, Carlos, please, this is an important fight for Manny Pacquiao because the winner will have a chance to fight for the world championship. This is what Pete Diaz said. So you know the opponent, Hussein, or Hussein, or whatever his name is, he's taller, he's younger, he's stronger, he's a dirty fighter by uh, Jeff uh, Fanach, or Fanach, whatever. I, I always forgot what that dude's name was. Good fighter, though, that's for sure. So in the seventh round, I think Manny got knocked down. I thought he was going to get up, but his eyes were crossed. He starts to laugh. Um, and I'm Filipino, and everybody watching the fight is Filipino. So I prolonged the count. I know how to do it. Uh, when he got up, I told him, hey, are you okay? Still prolonging the fight. Are you okay? Okay, fight. Um, and then Hussein, because Manny was not like Manny is now, he wasn't trained by Freddie Roach yet. He holds on for his dear life, and the guy throws him, and he went down again. And I said to the opponent, hey, don't do this. You know, I prolonged the fight, prolonged giving him a little chance. Don't do that, okay? The judges, take a, what do you say? Don't do that, okay? Judges, point deduction. So he basically was doing what we've seen plenty of, you know, guys do, right? Uh, Pacquiao was knocked down in the fourth round of the fight. That's how Pac-Man defend. WBC, uh, WBC International Super Bantamweight, and the replays show that, yes, the future legend was given approximately 18 seconds of time for the knockout to the fight resuming Pacquiao recovered. And he went on to score the TKO in the 10th round. Um, that fight, wait, what the hell? This is the, that's the same thing. But yeah, he basically, they, they said, hey, just a heads up, you know, this guy's going to be tough, and we need Pacquiao to win. So in the back of his head, he's like, okay, no problem. Um, because Pacquiao is shorter, he headbutted the other guy, and there was a cut, but I declared it a punch. If there's a headbutt, you have to stop the fight and declare the judges a point deduction. So, and it's funny because uh, – the or not funny, but the fighter who he cheated um, went to social media and called him a, a putrid dog. <laughs> How different things would be if Manny Pacquiao would have been counted out in that fight. Again, this is shocking stuff from Padilla. And it'll be interesting to see uh what that you know, what Manny has to say on the uh on the other card. There seems to be a little chance of the fight result being changed now. Yet recently we did see the same guy Jeff Finich and Azuma uh Azuma Nelson uh draw a fight from nineteen ninety one um has officially uh result they had a change. Uh, you know, maybe the WBC will look into that. But yeah, dude, that that's uh, that's not completely shocking, you know. As we know, that's not completely shocking. It is what it is. I mean, this this stuff happens, you know. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this stuff happens. Anyway, we do have some quick news here before I get out of here. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano 
uh, rematch is now closing in on a deal for Croke Park next year. Eddie Hearn has declared. Hearn said Serrano could first fight uh, Eric Cruz for Undisputed at Featherweight in February, then the rematch for Undisputed at Lightweight. That'd be kind of interesting, man. That would be kind of interesting. Sounds like Jamal Charlo is back in February, um, and he actually was saying, hey, Bibble, fight me. And Bibble was like, you don't even have a belt. Why would I fight you, you know? Um, which is a, it's funny because when some fighters say that, they get shit. When other fighters say it, they don't. But uh, here's an interesting item that Oscar actually tweeted not all that long ago. He said, Jaime Mangia, I feel uh, very confident that if he wins, which he did, uh, that the zone, or uh, tonight on the zone, this is a little while ago, this is November 19th, he said, I feel confident if he wins, which he did, uh, that I can make the Charlo fight in the first quarter of next year. He's saying February. That, by the way, uh, Beecher, Biev, and Yard are going to fight um, January 23rd. That fight, or January 28th, actually, my fault. January 28th, so that fight is on. Uh, Shakur Stevenson revealed that he uh, had offered, he's now offered William Zapata a fight, uh, so offered a contract to fight. And then here we go. The WBA is now once again officially ordered Leo Santa Cruz to defend his WBA featherweight world title versus Lee Wood. And this was uh, last week, so they they had 15 days to negotiate. This thing's just been a mess, dude. Also, um, Ioka and Franco are going to, for Japan, you know how Japan with the New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, December 31st in Tokyo, Japan, WBA, WBO, super flyweight title unification, Ioki and Franco. That should be an interesting fight, man. I'm looking forward to that. All right, so I got to get out of here because, like I said, life got in the way. Uh, it is what it is. We do have some confirmation again about Eubank Jr., Liam Smith, January 21st. I think we mentioned that. Someone sent that to me. Uh, I think we mentioned that last week. But I got to get out of here. I got to get uh, on with the rest of my day. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be back next week to wrap it up. I'm out of here. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when.